This is Ian Griffin with Professionally Speaking, and the second of three extracts from the recent conference call hosted by the Silicon Valley Speechwriters Roundtable featuring David Murray, the executive director of the Professional Speechwriters Association. He's also the Master of Ceremonies of the 2015 Reagan Speechwriters Conference, which was held in March in Washington, D.C. And in this extract, David shares with us what impressed him most about the event, starting with an appreciation of an incredible keynote given by Pepsi's Rod Thorne, and then covering details of speechwriting at both Cisco and Microsoft. It was a wonderful conference. Uh-huh. Um, Hey, I like speechwriters, um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, it was fun, and, uh, and this, it was particularly well done. Uh, Yolanda, who organizes the conferences for Reagan, um, they've kind of scaled that conference down a tiny bit. I don't know if there's competition from us that's affecting that or what it is, but um, they've scaled it down a tiny bit, and she had a little bit less time to work with. She really only had one full day and a tiny part of another, um, but she just did a great job, and uh the keynote, the keynote is so with me. I mean, the keynote is the is today the speech of the week. If you go to vsotd.com, it's the speech of the week. Um, it's right on top there, and then I have a commentary about it. It was given by a guy named Rod Thorne, who is my new best buddy in this business. He is from Pepsi, um, and he told a story. I mean, his keynote was just unlike anything I'd ever heard. He basically told a story... Uh, about growing up uh, incredibly desperately poor uh, in, in upstate New York in a trailer home with a, with a in real poverty. He said my parents weren't blue collar, they were no collar. His dad was sort of a violent drunk and he made no, he made no bones about that. And he said, you know, when I first climbed into a corporate jet with a CEO, I looked around and realized it was bigger and nicer than the house I grew up in. Mm-hmm. And he talked incredibly candidly about um, feeling imposter syndrome a lot of times. Uh, he talked incredibly candidly about how he got to where he is and what he, you know, how he learned. And he sort of shared that these seven these seven um, tips that his uncle gave him, uh, his uncle George gave him, and it was just so real and so um, it was. I mean, people were mesmerized by it, and they were still really talking about it the next day, and I was thinking about it. I think a lot of us were thinking about it after that. And one of the, one of the things that came out of it, and this is the focus of my commentary, is that um, speechwriters have, have to have this, not emotional intelligence, but emotional genius to really, to really do what they need to do. And, and Thorne talked about this. He said he talked about staying in a five-star hotel with the CEO and also shining the CEO's shoes, um, you know, in that hotel and, and having written the CEO's speech. And we talked and thought a lot about, you know, it's really, it's, it's, it's really quite a trick emotionally, I think, to have the ego, an ego the size that you need to have it to, to walk in and advise these powerful, intense, type A CEOs on communications and on other issues, and then have the humility to serve these people in a way that they actually need to be served or are accustomed to being served. And, and I kind of confess, I don't, I don't have that ability. I, I can shine shoes and I can advise people, but I can't really do both, and I certainly can't really do both in, one, in the same day. 
And I think that speechwriters, and the, the really happy ones anyway, I know a lot of them struggle with this, but uh, I think the happy ones and the ones that, that really develop these kinds of relationships find a way to do that. And it's, it's kind of, I think, I don't know, I, I think it's kind of, it's like a little bit like Mozart's genius. Yeah, how, do you, how do you do that? I, I'm really, I've, I've always, I think that's one of the things that's always fascinated me about speechwriters. Um, and then the other thing that Rod Thorne said is he realized that the value he adds when he's in the corporate jet uh, talking to these CEOs who either never knew or have long since forgotten what it was like to be like a real person, a regular person in regular life, um, is, is, is giving that person that perspective. And, and the way he put it was, I am the people that I've been flying over in this corporate jet. And I can advise the CEO in ways that, 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 are, that are completely seasoned by my, my understanding of every American you know, or, or Americans on every single part of the social and economic scale from the trailer park all the way to the, to the C-suite. So it was a great talk. He's a great guy, and I think he's going to be, um, if I have anything to say about it, he's going to be really a good, important man in our, in our business for a long time. So that was a great takeaway from that. Um, yeah, just to interrupt, I did do a quick search, and I see, I, I didn't realize this, on Vital Speeches Today, VS... OTD.com. It's uh, you, you do a search for his name for this year, and up it comes. Flying lessons firsthand uh, with the full script of his speech. So that's that's what he read at the uh, Reagan conference. Right. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, and that'll appear in Vital Speeches next month as well. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I would I would second. I I had limited exposure to being in a corporate jet with one executive near the start of my career. It was a it was a sort of vertigo-inducing moment because I'd been a low-level employee of the organization for many years and suddenly I was next to the guy. And, and there is that dissonance between, you know, you're, you're, you're in the wake of these people. I'm, I imagine it's even more so in the White House. It, w- would, you have, would you say you've observed that kind of, whatever you call it, the weird genius like Mozart for speechwriters amongst other people you've met over the years, other speechwriters in... The political arena, say. Yeah, I mean, I think the I think the ones who are who, who stick in this business and really make a difference with these leaders are the ones who can handle that and, and who mm-hmm. can who either get used to that vertigo because it's weird. I mean, it's really weird. Um, I was in a position. I, I had a relationship with Petraeus before this World Conference thing, and I was in this weird position, really, for the first time in my life, where I was actually. Dave Petraeus was asking me questions about communicate about what to do, and I'm really, you know, I'm not. I haven't mostly been a speechwriter in my life. I've really been a, a convener of speechwriters, um, and so it was. It was just the strangest. It's it, it's it's like a different dimension. It's you're, you're, you 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 almost have to. It, vertigo is a good is a good um, uh, term for it because you you almost it's like you almost have to define yourself. Am I am I um, somebody in society who's acting, or am I somebody in society who's been being acted on by the leaders of society? And when you're in that position of advising the leaders, you're kind of both at once. And I think that's psychologically unique, let's put it that way, and something that speechwriters in different ways at different levels have to deal with. And I just thought it was cool to, that Rod, Rod Thorne was able to address it directly 
and everybody was on the edge of their seat um, listening to that. That's great. That's great. And any other quick comments about the conference? You you definitely did Rod's keynote justice, and I'll put a link in it to the report I'll do on this for our members who aren't on the line. Uh, the, the other the other things that kind of stuck with me, uh, Mark Buchanan at Cisco is involved in a program, um, and I'm not exactly sure what his I can't remember what his title is exactly, but basically he's involved in a program. Cisco decided that they were that their brand. As part of their brand, they were sounding kind of like techy and old, and sort of old school techy and dusty and musty. And they decided to, to, as one of the things that they were going to do to tackle this, is that they were going to change, try to change the language of 75,000, all 75,000 employees. They were going to basically try to train all the employees to communicate in written language and I guess in, in oral communication too, in a way that was crisp, fresh, honest candid um, and direct rather than jargon filled and you know as my niece puts it when the my three year old niece puts it when the adults are making no sense making jelly beans um, they're going to stop talking jelly beans at Cisco uh-huh. um, and, and so he talked about I mean he, he talked to, he showed sort of before and example before and after examples of paragraphs and ways to take Cisco's writing and proposals and internal memos and, and make them more clear and make them Act all the stuff that we kind of we would transform anything that we saw into into more active clarity. He spent a fair amount of time actually kind of doing the before and after stuff, and I think the audience, at least this part of it, was going, yeah, 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 we we know we we get that, but how do you go about driving this through into down into the organization? And he he said he he just didn't he wasn't and maybe the answer is he's just getting started. Uh, but he didn't get quite enough across on that score. So, um, I mean, he said that uh, that that he believes that this initiative helped land a, a $405 million deal. Uh, at some point, he, he, he says that scores, that they survey scores, trust, persuasion, and engagement are going up inside Cisco. But there was a sense and some frustration in the audience. I think it was like, okay, how do you actually pull this off um, and drive this down to the organization? And... Maybe the answer is he hasn't done it quite yet, but um, it was it was interesting. He's a really nice guy and smart guy, and it seemed like um, to be kind of worth checking back into oh. a year a year from now. Yeah, if I can just interrupt, I've, I've got him up on LinkedIn, and uh, his title is Brand Experience Design Program Lead, and his actual job description describes exactly what you were saying. We're changing the way people at Cisco write and speak. We're helping our people use language in simpler, more distinctive terms. And he, he's got like 12 bullet points of results. So um, LinkedIn actually is pretty re- you know, revealing about what his goal is. So it was good that but you got the corporate view from he Cisco. Should, he should, get, he should uh, change, make his title a little bit more clear as part of his work, I think. Yes. <laughs> but but uh, he, uh, yeah, he's, he's good. And, um, and uh, he did come uh, across... Incidentally, with a great quote that I liked, that I, I found a, another source from it. Well, he, he didn't say it wasn't his originally, but it was st- statistics are people with the tears wiped off. Mm. <laughs> I thought that was pretty, which I thought was kind of kind of good. Yeah. Um, yeah. The next person that I thought was interesting was Microsoft. Uh, Monique uh, Visitainer. Does anybody? Uh, I guess we don't. Microsoft isn't Silicon Valley. I know. Um, well, yeah. But she. She um, was basically she 
I did a session on how you organize executive communication, how you, you know, create annual plans, how you attach three messages per year to an executive and try to make that executive stick to those three, how you assign, how you get the executive to say what, what his or her communication goals are for the year, um, uh, public speaking um, ambitions for the year. You know, it was, it was like a way to, to sort of rationalize executive communication, which has always been a terrible, you know, terribly organic and, you know, probably the, the least planned and most organic part of the communication operation because it relies a lot on invitations and just saying yes or no to invitations. So um, to, to whatever extent you can do this, and, and I really think sitting down with each executive that you serve and at least once a year and saying, what are we trying to accomplish this year? Um, what what should you be speaking on? What, sh- what audiences should you be addressing on what subjects? And what do you want to do to improve as a speaker? I think that is a really, really important exercise that very few executive communication people actually pull off with their executives and, um, and try to make their executives stick to um, throughout the year. So I think, like, if she was a little too detailed, that's, that's, don't worry about it. And so I'm going to actually try to have her come to the World Conference and maybe, maybe to um, another thing that, that's coming up mm-hmm. uh, because I, I think that's kind of an important exercise.